Welcome to Human Potential at Work, the show where we explore social impact, inclusion, and empowerment of everyone, including persons with disabilities. Your host is Deborah Rue, CEO of Rue Global Impact and co-founder and chairwoman of Billion Strong, an identity and empowerment organization designed to bring billions of voices of persons with disabilities together. To join the global community and to donate to the cause, visit billion-strong.org. That's billion-strong.org. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. My name is Deborah Rue, and this is Human Potential at Work. And I, today, am um, wearing a pink and purple um, shirt. I have on a blue hat today and um, still have my gray and purple hair. And I um, am a mature white woman. And my guest today is somebody that I've known about his work for years and years and years. And I really love what they do, especially every year. They do the ADA digital accessibility lawsuit report and um, with key takeaways. And so the they just created the 2022 ADA digital accessibility lawsuit report. And I always look forward to this report. It's got a lot of fabulous data. And Jason and I were talking um, before we went on air about the report. And, um, and I will confess to the audience, for some reason, I thought Usable Net was a UK-based company. And Jason said, no, we are, we're New York City. So um, maybe other people didn't know where y'all are located as well. But I know that y'all been around a long time doing amazing work, Jason. So welcome to the program. Now, let me tell you, he is the global technology leader in accessibility and the chief innovation strategist at Usable Net. And um, Jason, welcome to the program. Maybe we can start with you just giving an introduction about yourself and tell us a little bit more about Usable Net. Hi, Deborah. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, my name is Jason Taylor. I am a uh, mature white male um, with zero hair, um, an English accent that probably made you realize, think that we're from the UK. Um, <laughs> and essentially, UsableNet is a company that helps um, uh, a wide range of different uh, organizations make sure that their digital experiences are accessible, whether that's a, an e-commerce site, a, 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 re, a a travel site, a banking site. Uh, been around 20 years. We actually started uh, at UsableNet with a range of plugins for authoring environments. So um, if you remember back, so 20 years ago, we're talking uh, 2000, 2001. Um, the, the most popular authoring tools on the web at the time were Dreamweaver, which was part of Macromedia, which is now part of Adobe. Um, and Microsoft front page. So one of the first things that we did was we generated a way of applying usability and accessibility rules for developers as they built pages and content um, in those two offering environments. So that's sort of where our name comes from, usability. We actually started working with people like Nielsen and Norman Group, um, Jacob Nielsen at the NNG, um, Dreamweaver and other types of organizations which were uh, basically driving the sort of web creation world. Um, and how we sort of specialized in accessibility is around 2001, uh, there was a law that came out at the federal level called Section 508 that really focused people in on that component of usability, I think, and allowed us to build a business around providing ways for developers and teams to sort of 
um, help help sort of quick quick uh, do a quicker job of sort of testing what they were building, finding issues that they needed to re- to remedy, and essentially that's still our business today. Our business today is providing a range of technology and tools and approaches, different types of organizations, but digital has exploded beyond sort of simple web pages um, back in 2001 to very complex interactive environments. Um, And digital will continue to develop into, you know, the metaverse and other areas of digital space. So, um, you know, the the environments have changed, the companies have got uh, the websites or web applications become more complicated, teams have become bigger, um, but also the importance of those environments have become a lot more important in everyday's lives. So essentially now, if you, you know, if you are building a digital uh, experience for a customer or for a group of employees or uh, for a, a group of partners, uh, it's important it's imperative that that is available to everybody. Otherwise you will uh, essentially, you know, take away core requirements in terms of sort of, uh, you know, in terms of access to the people with disabilities to, to the core functionality of economic and social life today. Yeah. Excellent points. And I remember when I first joined the industry in 2000, we um, use usability and accessibility. We weren't talking. To each other, and I remember starting uh, my small team, and they were people would say, "Well, how are you making sure that people with intellectual disabilities, like my daughter, are included?" And I would say, "Well, it has to be usable. You have to really consider usability in that." But y'all really take it took it from a whole different way because you looked at. Well, the the internet has to be usable first, and then of course that includes accessibility. But I'm putting words in your mouth. Is that the way y'all were looking at it? Because you, I started- think you'd also look at it today that way, which is you know we we start with primarily thinking about what is the use cases of websites or apps, um, not individual elements, but the overall purpose of that website and an app. What are what should a person what what should everybody be able to achieve in terms of a task? Is it is it achievable? Part of that is about whether you can actually you know understand it to achieve the to, which essentially I think is the core of sort of like accessibility is sort of you know making it consistent and, and making it understandable. But an, an accessible site is not necessarily a usable site. So um, you know one of the things that we're talking about today is what you know uh, we believe. Uh, an important component of anything that someone's doing around, let's say, an accessibility program needs to involve users who are actually using assistive technology. They'll be the quickest way for you to know whether something is accessible. Um, a lot quicker than you trying to test against the W3C's 38 success criteria and 100 different types of technical checks. If you literally ask someone who relies on assistive technology every day, and you're, you know, say, a travel site, and you say, can you book a flight and and select your seat? And they can. You're probably in a pretty good place. Um, if you can't, you know, you you know that you've got to uh, now look at the technical reasons why they can't do that. Right. And and I want to just state something obvious to the audience too, and that Jason's right. You know, if you you want to make sure that your website is working, you know, have people that are using assistive technology see if they can do it. But remember, not everybody uses assistive technology in the same way. Some people are 
fabulous at it. And so they know how to get around, do all these workarounds. And some people are new. So it's like when you're testing, make sure you're looking at people that, you know, of all different skills of assistive assistive technology. I know that people forget that, which is why it helps to work with a company like yours so that we don't forget all the different rules. But I know that even though you're a U.S.-based company, you're also U.S. and Italy, but you're a global firm and you work with global clients. So why the ADA digital accessibility lawsuit report? Why do y'all do that every year? I'm glad. Thank you. Please do it every year, Jason. I find it so valuable. But tell us more about that. When do yeah, you start? so I think it's important to understand why we track lawsuits, especially in the United States, which are associated with digital property. So a website or an app that's, quote unquote, being sued under uh, a claim under the ADA for discrimination. We can get into the details of that. But the, the main reason why this is important is the U.S. is the biggest economic market in the world. Um, whether you're Sony and you're based in Japan, you need to do business in the United States. Um, so the United States, whatever is happening in the United States is important to most of our clients worldwide. Um, you know, the reason we started this was in 2018, there was a, there was a, a big explosion in these types of cases. Um, and the last four or five years has seen that, um, you know, increase 30, 40% year on year. Um, and this year we're sort of around 4,000 lawsuits in, in a year. Sorry, but I'm glad yeah. because at this point, if you haven't made your your digital footprint accessible, I think it's time to get sued. Yeah, I would actually say that the, <laughs> the vast majority of the reasons why these lawsuits exist, they you could argue about lots of different aspects of it. But most websites haven't addressed accessibility to an extent, and they've opened themselves up to this type of lawsuit. Um, you know, there's, there's many lawsuits that are, that are brought by somebody – uh, to an organization that the, maybe they haven't, they, they don't actually have any um, inherent um, plan to use that organization's website. Um, but that's sort of irrelevant to the ADA. So, um, you know, the, these are, and the reason why as a company that helps companies sort of uh, make sure that their websites are accessible enough to avoid lawsuits, that's why we sort of track the lawsuits. We look at, we look at the lawsuits, um, we try to help companies understand what what is what are we collectively seeing that will uh, that will help our companies focus on accessibility, but also reduce risk from these types of lawsuits. So um, that's why a company like us started to uh, to track this. Um, and as as you have uh, Deborah found, it's you know it's a it's a sub subject matter that has lots of tentacles to it, so it becomes quite interesting for different groups with inside our industry, you know, uh, clients are interested, lawyers are interested, um, vendors are interested. So there's a, there's a group, there's a wide group of people that are interested in the detail that we track in these reports. And we try to make them uh, informative um, for different groups of people um, in terms of help them do their job of supporting companies in this space. Right. I, I, I always look forward to it and I always go in uh, and thank you, Jason. You, you're kind enough to send it to my email, which I really appreciated because that way I can send it out to my audience. But so you've been doing it for five years. Um, so do, are you looking at the trends that you're seeing over the, that? Five yeah. Years? So actually like this year, I just did a, I mean, if you go to our, if you go to userbonnet.com, you can download this report for free. I think it's important to understand it's a free report, but you yes. also, if you go to the blogs, you'll see a blog from me this year. 
where I sort of summarize like what's been going on in the last five years. What, what are we seeing is the overall trends. Um, and some of that is actually driven by legal uh, uh, aspects of these types of cases. So, um, but there's the overall trend is that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of lawsuits, but they're but they're brought by a a, a, um, a small group of plaintiffs and plaintiff firms. You can call them, um, uh, uh, you know, um, active advocates who are users. Some people uh, see the law firms as sort of uh, you know uh, out for sort of get to, to get money on this particular. Thing. Um, but there's a, there's definitely a mix, and there's also in, inside these lawsuits there's there's different types of organisations that, that have used the ADA. Um, but as a, as a general trend, um, we see that this is something that's, uh, that's uh, you know, generally not going away. Um, and I think an important note is that the, the lawsuits aren't the only type of legal action that a company can receive. So a company can receive something called a, a demand letter, which is a similar sort of uh, lower form of legal action that says, I have a client that's having problems with your website um, and we want you to remedy it. Um, and essentially, that's a, uh, and there's probably twice as many of those in the market as there are lawsuits. So um, it's something that companies need to be aware of. Um, and it can be a motivator for a lot of companies because, in the end, the lawsuits are, are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a catalyst for companies to start taking accessibility seriously. Um, and in general, we've seen companies do a lot a lot more companies take accessibility seriously since these lawsuits started than before. So um, you can say there are, ne- there are negatives associated with these lawsuits. They don't, some of them don't look to be genuine, like uh, distressed users, but in the general scheme of things, they have done a good job of bringing attention and focus to accessibility in, in most of these digital spaces. I agree. And, you know, it's the, these brands, they are, they of course don't want to get sued, but they're more concerned about their brand image being dragged through the you know, media because nobody wants to be the company these days that don't want to include people with disabilities. That doesn't sound good for your brand. Yeah. So it, they, it is very powerful, our lawsuits. I remember years ago, a friend of mine in Australia started a conversation with me like, you Americans. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, you Americans, you're always suing each other. Y'all need to stop that. Blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? I know it's messy, but how we do things in the States is we put a law in the books and then we sue each other to pound that law out. That's the way we do it. And I'm glad we do it because we are trying to hold businesses accountable that aren't paying attention to us. And so I myself haven't sued people, but I'm really glad that companies are being sued. I'm I'm happy that big companies are being sued and I'm happy that small and medium company. And that sounds terrible, but at this point, if you have not tried to make your technology fully accessible and your built environments, why? So I, I just don't have patience for it anymore. So I like to focus more on finding the brands that are doing really good things, but I'm so grateful, Jason, that you are taking the time to always look at what is happening. So what are some of the trop, the top trends that you found um, in the ADA um, 
the the most recent digital accessibility report you did in 2022. Yeah, so I mean, the themes are right now. Uh, as I said, they they can be responding to let's say legal legal cases that have gone on. Um, but there's a few trends which basically have 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 held up over five years. The, the primary focus of these types of lawsuits um, are e-commerce. Um, that's probably I would say I'll just say three reasons why I believe that's the case. One is this is a volume type activity via these plaintiff firms, so they need lists of companies to look at, right? So, um, and they want to follow the same process. So it's easy to say go go test, uh, you know, the checkout of a of an e-commerce, and here's a hundred e-commerce sites. Go go check them all, right? So, um, one is there's lots of e-commerce. Second is e-commerce is actually interactive, changing a lot, lots of updates. So they actually have the, op- they, they have, it's harder for them to sort of like, uh, I, I talk about, you know, people talk about like offices under the ADA and they talk about websites as, as you sort of, as, as like an office. But offices don't change. Once you've built that to an ADA standard, it doesn't change for 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, but a website changes, could change every week. Uh, could definitely change in every month and features are being added every year. So there's lots of potential for, there for things to be missed, even if someone's actually working hard on it. Yes. Uh, and then the, uh, the third a- aspect um, is that, you know, uh, most e-commerce companies understand the concept of ADA because a lot of them do have physical space. So they have to worry about ADA as a physical space. So when a lawsuit comes and it's, you know, under the ADA, their lawyers know what to do with it. They, they know to take it seriously. They know they need to respond to it. So um, th- those are the reasons why I think e-commerce is, is, is constant trained. One of, one of the new aspects this year is how much importance is on that physical property. So there has been some legal cases recently where judges have said, well, actually, your your website's only uh, only comes under ADA if it helps someone use a physical space because the ADA was written thirty plus years ago. The web websites didn't exist at that time, um, but physical spaces are obviously the main aspect with regard to where it was written. So um, companies with physical spaces are more likely to get lawsuits now than in the past. Um, there are still courts which will hear cases against online only, especially in New York City, but that's changed. Um, California and New York are still the top uh, areas. Florida used to be. Florida uh, has reduced a little bit because of a, an important case uh, where Winn-Dixie basically won a case or right. was dismissed. Um, so some, some legal stuff has, uh, has changed, but actually Florida started to come back again because that Winn-Dixie case sort of left open they were let they were let off because they, it wasn't an e-commerce site um so actually cases now are being made mostly with e-commerce sites because the sort of judge op- left that door open in terms of allowing people to be sued under the ada because of e-commerce in florida so um yes. you know uh what i find is a a a, 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 a judgment is made it might change the way that plaintiffs put together. And another trend this year is you're, you're seeing a lot more detail in these cases because other judges have said, well, we don't really see where the harm is. We don't, you know, right. you can't use generalization as, as much. So pl- plaintiffs and plaintiffs firms are now, you know, documenting more and more of the specifics of, uh, of what, it, uh, what the problems are. And, and you're seeing more detail in, in the cases themselves. 
And, and I um, live in Virginia, but I was born in Florida. And I actually, as a kid, worked for Winn-Dixie. And I have always shopped at Winn-Dixie, but when they did that, I stopped. I will not go in a Winn-Dixie store. Um, I assume I'm not welcome as a person with ADHD. I have a daughter with Down syndrome. My husband just passed away with a disability. So I just assume Winn-Dixie doesn't want my business and I'm not giving it to them. Yeah. Um, just, and there's a lot of people thinking that, but I, I was so disappointed with Winn-Dixie for doing that, but oh well, they probably don't care, but I think they will eventually care because we do have choices. Well, have- would, uh, in one, in one aspect, uh, and Winn-Dixie is not a client, but I, I have actually, I have actually, you know, s- they actually have a good accessible website. They, right. they have actually taken accessibility seriously. Uh, there's arguments about why um, companies fight uh, a particular case um, and why yeah. they don't. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that Winn-Dixie hasn't turned their back on, in, on, on accessibility. So I, I don't want people to think that they won a case. But they won a case because they're like, well, we don't think that we should, uh, you know, Many companies argue this, and this, and we can get into. Uh, I think we can get into this as well. Is a lot of companies say, "Well, it's not clear what is enough." I agree. I agree. So, Win Dixie's case was that, which was like, "Well, today someone says that this is we didn't do this, and tomorrow they can say they didn't do this, but it's not clear to us what we have to do." So, we don't think that we should be sued under this particular statute because it's not right. clear in that statute why, why, what, what you need to do. And I understand all of those things, and but as an individual, I just choose to not support their brand anymore. It's also important to note that, like brands like Target, which was a very you know visible lawsuit, Target is one of the most accessible websites you can get to now. So these brands do learn from it. But I just myself, I just can't. I personally. It's not yeah, where I think that they they lost you is why spend the money, right? Arguing, where yes. actually if fix if they'd have looked at, if they'd have looked at what they need to do, they end up fixing their site anyway, and they probably could have settled for a lot less money than having their name associated with not supporting people with disabilities, right? Um, because there's no it, it isn't this this is not a class action lawsuit. This is this is a lawsuit where the only thing at the end can happen is that a company gets told they need to fix their website. That's their cost. And pay the lawyer fees. So the more you argue, the more legal fees you're going to pay. And you're still going to have to fix the website. So it, it seems to me that they were probably given, you know, for me, improper guidance from a law firm that probably knows that they can bill um, if they can get their clients to want to defend. So, um, you know, there's, there's money to be made on both sides of lawsuits, not just on the plaintiff's side. Right, right. And of course, what these brands have to be careful of is, you know, what we're going to think about their brand afterwards. So do, does Winn-Dixie care that one person that used to work for them years ago doesn't shop with them anymore? Well, they'll start to when enough of us have these conversations. But Winn-Dixie isn't necessarily the villain here. I I definitely don't think they're the villain. But um I know that we are learning a lot. And I remember one year, I was trying to think if it was 2018 and it might have, Jason. I remember it came about October here in the States and all the e-commerce, most of the major e-commerce companies were sued. They yep. got, there were thousands of lawsuits that hit 
right at October. And somebody's like, why? Why now? And it's like, oh, because we're coming onto the holiday season. And everybody's now buying everything online. I forget which year it was, but it was staggering how many lawsuits hit. Um, yeah, well, that's, I, that, that was the start, 2018. I was uh, thinking, yeah. And there's probably two reasons for that. One is because the administration changed um, from uh, um, from Democrat to Republican. Uh, Trump uh, issued a statement to basically tell the DOJ to ease off regulation. DOJ was heading towards clarifying what was enough. We, we go back to that thing again, right? So the DOJ sort of did spend 20 years establishing that the ADA applies and for you to be a, if you to be compliant you should be following the WCAG 2.0 AA right they spent 15 16 years doing that from year 2000 to year 2017 joining on, on the plaintiff side and because they stopped that work they'd already put the blueprint in place for plaintiff lawyers to say hey if your website's not compliant with WCAG 2.0 we're going to we're going to use the DOJ as evidence that you uh, can be sued under the ADA. And they went to judges with that. And that's essentially why it happened in 2018, that this sort of spark happened yeah. where plaintiffs realized that the DOJ had done all the work for them, put them in a, a nice position where it was clear the DOJ's, you know, uh, believed the ADA applied and what the level of requirement was. Um, and then plaintiff firms really just had to go out and find companies that weren't doing what the DOJ said they should do and sue them. And uh, uh, and it'd be very hard for a judge to say, well, we can't, you know, it, uh, to dismiss that claim um, because the DOJ had done so much paperwork to basically say, yes, websites are subject to the ADA. And luckily, the DOJ under this new administration has stepped back up and has gotten involved again. Thank goodness. Yeah, I think, it, uh, I mean, everyone's looking for guidance. I, what I like about the DOJ is that they're actually, uh, they're not going, you know, most of the most of the law firms right now are, are aimed at things like, as we said, e-commerce, but the DOJ is really trying to um, advocate for accessibility in important areas like healthcare and voting, right? Nice. Where, where these these are not these are not target to law firms. So they're you know they're because it's it's harder to there's a lot of legal reasons they're just not as easy to sue than a than a than an e-commerce site. So if you're gonna if you're gonna sue people, you go for the easiest target. Um, but the DOJ had already, you know, enacting in, in and encouraging and sort of, you know, uh, using their weight to make sure that these these important areas are, you know, taken accessibility seriously. And uh, we hope DOJ does more of that. Okay. Um, uh, and hopefully um, there'll be some type of legal clarification at some point um, for companies to know what they need to do. And, and the reality is accessibility can be very gray. It really is. I, it is. And it's. It's so easy to kick yourself out of compliance. And um, I remember um, a company came to me um, a couple of years ago, and they were a company that was supporting people with disabilities. What they did was um, they would take your van and they would convert it so that you can drive it, you know, in non-traditional ways. Right. And so their customers were actually people with disabilities, and they got sued because their website wasn't accessible. And so they're like, I can't believe they're coming after us. And I'm like, why would you not have an accessible website? Your customers. Yeah. 
do you think you should get a pass? Because I, I was so shocked. Anyway, we did help them and guide them. But a thing I also want to point out to anyone that Jason has a lot of experience with this. And if you were dealing with any of these, these issues, you really should go to usable net because they do understand the complexities of these things. The, the reason why in the United States, we're so afraid of lawsuits. We all are afraid of lawsuits is because lawsuits can get out of control real fast. And why are the brands so afraid of them when you're not talking about, Oh, you get $15 million hit. No, very quickly, the lawsuits can get out of control and get very expensive. And once again, do damage to your brand. So, all of us Americans don't want, the, uh, you know, we want to avoid litigation. But at the same time, we have to say that the world has improved because of the messy way the United States does things. Because as Jason mentioned, people, you know, everybody does business in the United States. They do just because it's such a big marketplace. And so you have to follow the rules and the laws of our land. So yes, it's been messy, but we have caused so many companies to really take accessibility seriously. As you said, Jason, the Winn-Dixie accessibility people are very committed to this. I'm mad at the decisions that were made, you know, legal, but they are committed and they worked really hard. So is that what you find also, Jason, that this is such a complex problem that, do, you know, how do you even know where to guide your, the, the, the customers that come to you to protect themselves with a gray, confusing issue? Well, the first thing, like, so if you, you know, people come and you're like, where do I, where do I start? Right. Um, Maybe this might be an unusual response, but the first thing I do is, uh, first you need to contact the people who built your website. Mm. A lot of the time we have this conversation like companies are building their websites and most people do not build their websites. They either buy their website or a company builds their website for them, right? So the first point to start is you spent money on a website. You need to ask whoever you paid that money to, whether it's ADA compliant and conforms with WCAG 2.0 AA. And if it doesn't, you should be saying, well, I'm not going to renew unless it does next time. Right. Right. If you haven't got a website, you should be saying this is a requirement of my procurement. Right. Um, this will help you out a lot in terms of making sure that where you're spending your money the companies that are providing you a website or an app or a, a digital experience are making sure that they feel responsible for making sure it's accessible. Right. right. Um, I think a lot of companies have a problem because they, they're sued for a website which isn't accessible. It wasn't built accessible. And now they're like, what do we do about it? Because we've got it. It, it is what it is. How do we help fix that? Right. So, um, you know, and, uh, and the next step, the next step is to is to sort of you know if a company's if 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 your provider says yes, it is compliant, right? Is to do a little bit of a a, a test yourself. Do you know what I mean like uh, as you said, like you can come to our website and there's a we have a free test on our website. There's other tools that you can do a quick test with, um, or as we talked actually before here, like we we value the importance of actually you know in of getting some people who use assistive technology to give a, a, an initial sort of feeling of how easy it is to use the website. 
Um, you know, we talked about there's different levels of user, but even if you use a pro user, that pro user will be able to tell you whether they think a average user will be able to use the site or not. So, um, you know, we, we would tell someone, uh, place at the start, make sure that you're holding people you're spending money with responsible. Um, if you're doing this, inter- if you build your website internally, um, you need to get people to sort of buy into this as part of uh, as part of the deliverable. Um, that's where we talk about like we we like the importance of writing a, an accessibility statement because you're not going to publish an accessibility statement unless decision makers have okayed you publishing that statement and what's in it. And you know, it's quite easy to sit around the table with a lot of decision makers in, internally and say we're going to build an accessible website. You will instantly get people like well hold on hang on we don't know what that is um, we don't have the resources to do it we don't have the budget to do it we don't have the time frame to do it um, so you know all of that needs to be discussed about who's going to be responsible for what how's it going to get funded if it needs funding how's it going to be put into like you know go no go regression testing um, these are you know complicated uh, uh, aspects of like delivering digital experiences but you will initiate the conversation and you will you'll have to get buy-in from all areas before you publish that accessibility statement yeah i know that i've already kept you over 30 minutes and i'm about to ask you a really hard question um but how important is it for um for the customer to know who they are also dealing with first of all i agree with you about the procurement you any procurement done, you should make sure that you say to the vendor, must be ADA compliant or whatever the words you want right. to use to protect yourself. And I've written an article, I've written a, uh, a, a blog on that as well in terms of what you what you could put in procurement in terms of providing. Because there is a, there is a gray area, there is split responsibility as well on a website. Uh, some, some content your marketing team may be generating, uh, other things other teams may be generating so you have to worry you have to also consider that it's not just one person's responsibility so. i agree but jason where where is the danger of picking the wrong provider meaning the wrong you know if i want to make my website useful and accessible and i want to avoid lawsuits um is there some buyer beware out there in the market you know i'm setting you up of course there is <laughs> Say accessibility well, overlays, for example. Yeah, so I mean, I think you're, I think you're leading the witness to talk about things like <laughs> quick fixes, like widgets, in particular widgets, which um, look good to the uh, to the untrained eye, but don't, don't really do anything for the end user themselves. So, um, for people who don't know what we mean by a widget, you know, the classic is that um, there's a uh, there's there's a feature on the website that brings up a panel. That panel adds all of these cool little these these cool looking functionalities like increase font size and change the color contrast and stuff like this um which is sort of sold as a way of showing that you're um doing accessibility in the right way there's a there's a number of reasons why these widgets are actually very successful at selling themselves as opposed to useful for the end user um that's because a, a lot of companies are small. They don't have they don't have time to even you know research. They don't have, they're they're focused on doing what they're doing. They don't have time to research what web accessibility and what what's good is web web accessibility over bad web accessibility. And they're looking for something that they say, oh, I can tick a box. I can pay I can pay a fee and it's done." Um, 
Right. Um, and they'll protect uh, me. Oh, yeah. no, they won't. No, they won't. No, they so, won't. you know, one, one of the things that we track, uh, uh, you know, in the ADA lawsuit is, you know, when someone gets sued, the first thing that we do is we go to their website and we see whether they have a widget on their website. Um, and that number is probably around 15 to 20% of lawsuits already have a widget on the website. So it does not help you avoid lawsuits. That's the point of that sort of data point, which is, you know, if you put a widget on your website, um, some people believe that that makes you a target. For me, at the base level, it just means that you're, it's not stopping you getting a lawsuit. Right. Um, and, and I will also say that I do believe it does make you a target because there are some disability organizations that are specifically looking at the customers that are putting these widgets on their website. And and, I, and those of you uh, that are in the industry, you know what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to be ugly and go right into it. But the reality is, if you are putting some of these widgets on, there are disability groups that are looking who's doing that. And they, you, it does make you more of a target. That is just an antidotal. I might not be correct, but I have a feeling I am correct. And yeah. So- it, will, it will matter in a couple of ways. So um, it, it, to be honest, it's not even the technology that might be, uh, might be targeted by law firms. But so for example, as you said, a lot of these widgets say, um, uh, we will defend you. Right. Okay, we will pay your legal fees if you're sued, right? Um, which technically is true, but if you look at the fine print, you have right. to go. You have to go so far down the legal route and get in front of a judge, which is going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars yes. before that coverage it actually comes into account. So it's not like it goes away. It basically, you know, it's worded in a way that they know you will not go that far down the route. So they know they won't be paying any of the fees. This is the, this is the way that it's written. But again, most of these companies, you know, are moving fast. You know, most clients who are by those widgets are moving fast. They don't look at the real legalese and the contracts because they don't have lawyers themselves. Um, they, you know, they get told, don't worry, we'll deal with your lawsuits. Um, but actually, when you look at the detail of the uh, of the fine print, it means you're going to have to probably spend $100,000 before they will look after your lawsuit. So, you know, it's not, uh, it's it's empty promises um, backed up by legal legalese, which basically mean that you don't have a, a, any real support there. So, right. And bottom line, if it's only a hundred thousand that you're going to get out of the gate, that's good because these things get so expensive. They get very expensive. So I know I've kept you longer than I said, Jason, but I just really appreciate that you are using testers with assistive technology, that you're taking the time to document for our community, you know, what's happening, what we're learning from it. You, I know your website has a, I I love your blog. I watch, I read your blog all the time. So before I let you go, do you mind telling the audience how to find out more, how to get the report, how to know to read your blogs? I mean, let, you know, how, how do people find out more about what you're doing? So, I mean, the two, two main things, obviously, is if you go to our website, that one on the homepage, you're going to find two things which I think are useful. One is, one is you can access the report. You can also sign up for monthly updates now. 
Um, okay. And then the second thing is you can, you, we have a, a, a range of free tools. If you are a website owner to basically look at how well you may, may or not be doing or how well your provider is doing in terms of uh, providing accessibility of the website. Um, myself, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You'll find Jason Taylor on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm happy to connect with many people. Um, there I try to uh, be a, uh, be sort of inclusive in terms of a, a range of topics, which I think are useful for the industry. Don't don't uh, sort of get people to sort of um, you know understand what's going on around the general industry. Um, so th- those are our th- those are our sort of two main areas um, to, to to keep in touch with us. And also, Jason, if a if a brand was thinking about how to do this, I assume you would come in and do a paid. Um, speaking project for them where you could tell them what you've learned and and how it could apply to their brand? Yeah, I mean, we work with uh, companies, especially ones which are considering an accessibility program. So they want to understand how to create an accessibility program. We have lots of experience with big companies on how do you get uh, you know, how do you get decision maker buy-in for that program? How does that program, you know, basically sit? Where does it sit? Um, and uh, who, who needs to be involved in that program? You know, it, if you are a small company with a website, that you, you have a, a reasonably simpler situation in terms of doing accessibility. If you're a large organization um, that's got multiple, uh, multiple uh, locations, multiple teams, um, this is where sort of you need to think about the structure of it. Right, right, because the laws are different in different countries. So, um, any J- Jason, I really, really appreciate the work you're doing. The ongoing, the work that you're doing for the community is is such a blessing, and um, I appreciate how you are really walking the walk. So, you are one vendor that I happily recommend because. You understand that there's a lot of dynamics involved with this. There's a lot of nuances. And um, and so I really appreciate the work you're doing. So one more time, your website. Website is usablenet.com. So it's U-S-A-B-L-E-N-E-T.com. Yes. And been around a long time and very good for the industry. So thank you to the audience. And Jason, thank you for being on the show. I- I'm hoping that maybe you would come back on the show again and give us an update. So um, it, it, we should have an annual thing here, Jason. Yeah, Deborah, I'm happy to come anytime you anytime you invite me. I'm here. Yes. And I'm glad to know that you're doing monthly updates. I'm going to go out and I'm going to register for that, too. Okay. So um, anyway, thank you to the audience. Thank you so much to you, Jason, for all the work you are doing. And uh, please, everybody, check out the 2022 ADA Digital Accessibility Lawsuit Report and the key takeaways in uh, Jason's blog, too. So I'll Thanks say goodbye to everybody. Thanks, Bye-bye. Jason. You've been listening to Human Potential at Work. To learn more about Rue Global Impact, visit rueglobal.com. And to learn more about Billion Strong, an identity and empowerment organization designed to bring the billions of voices of persons with disabilities together, you can join the global community and donate at billion-strong.org. That's billion-strong.org.